Tenekoto, Nomai, Hairamai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Kia everyone. It's wonderful to have you here with me. Today we're going to be looking at cryptozoological creatures and monsters, things that go bump in the night and taunt your dreams. These are creatures of our nightmares and sometimes our waking hours. But are these creatures of the night that terrorise us as kids and perhaps as adults merely the results of nightmares and overactive imaginations? or the results of parents using cautionary tales to keep their kids safe? Or is there a reality behind them? Certainly most cultures worldwide have their store of legends and myths that persist in many places in the world up to this very day. Legends, or are they really cryptozoological beings like the Bigfoot, Yowie, or New Zealand's own Moiho Man? Are these genuine beings or merely cultural legends passed down from generation to generation? Today we're going to explore this part of the Shadowlands, but south of the border, down Mexico way, as the lyrics of a very old song tell us. To discuss with my guest, cryptozoological researcher and author Robert Bitto, the creatures, the legends and experiences of people from the Mexico region. It's possibly a wee bit scary for some of my listeners, particularly those from near the borders of Mexico and the USA and those living in the region, for some of whom these are not legends but reality. So the question, as always, is... Are you willing to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands and see what awaits us there? So make yourself comfortable, make sure your lights are on and your door is locked, and let's begin. My guest, Robert Beto, is host of a popular podcast called Mexico Unexplained. Robert has had over 30 years of experience in Mexico as a student, as an employee for a large multinational corporation, and as an owner of an imports business, Sueños Latin America Imports, since 1999. He was a professional researcher by trade from 1990 to 1993. And in addition to his MBA and BBA, he holds an MA in Latin American Studies from the University of New Mexico. 
From 2015 to 2016, he served as the San Diego chapter president of Mensa. Robert has written two books, Mexico Unexplained and Mexican Monsters. My guest, Robert Beto. very much for joining us today I'm really grateful for your time and really excited to talk to you about your studies and your experiences and your interests so perhaps for the sake of my listeners we could you could begin by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into your particular area of interest okay well I concentrate mostly on Mexico and I'm an American And how I got involved with Mexico was first 30 years ago, over 30 years ago now, I was a student down there. And um, when I was studying there, I was in a very artistic area. And um, that was always something that I was, that I had on the side. I was collecting arts and crafts as a, as kind of a side hobby. And I went back to the United States and I got my formal education. And when I Uh, got my education all finished, I was hired on by a large U.S. multinational corporation, and they stationed me in Mexico City and also in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I got to travel all over Latin America, and I collected these arts and crafts and, you know, esoteric type things. And then when I was tired of corporate America, I quit And that was 1998. And then the following year, I started an import company where I was importing arts and crafts. And I've been doing that ever Mm -hmm. since. And 
what I do is I go to really small towns, out of the way places, because I'm searching for unique merchandise. And um, one of my one of my store reviews, someone called me the Indiana Jones of arts and crafts, because I go <laughs> to the the wild, you know, unheard of places to go and find that stuff, you know, that no one else has. So over the course of my travels, I've run into a lot of really strange and interesting things, interesting stories, legends. And um, I remember when I was back on a plane going from Guadalajara to Phoenix, and I was nestling in my seat with a magazine called Muy Interesante, um, which uh-huh. translates to very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it's a magazine in Mexico about the paranormal and about uh, UFOs and unexplained things and stuff. And I was flipping through it and there was an article about crop circles. And I thought, you know, this analysis I've never heard before. I've never seen these pictures before. It, I wonder if there's a lot more to investigate um, with that topic and everything else. And so I still own my business. I still travel a lot and I'm going down to Mexico all the time and I'm uncovering different things. And I've had a a podcast for five years now and I've written two books on the subjects Mm -hmm. of cryptozoology, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries and all of that in Mexico. And people would be interested to know that Mexico has a counterpart for almost everything paranormal that's famous in the world like they have their version of the bermuda triangle they have two bigfoot creatures they have a loch ness monster all sorts of things they've had black-eyed kids they have crop circles all that stuff it's all down there but nobody really was putting it into english and putting it into you know out there on the internet or or so that it could reach a broader audience. So then that's where I came in and filled the niche. So that's my, my uh, elevator speech, I guess, three minutes or less. So what are the names of your books? The first book I wrote is the same name as the podcast and the YouTube channel. It's called Mexico Unexplained. And then the second book is called Mexican Monsters. And it, um, It just focuses on the cryptids and legendary creatures of Mexico. And people would be surprised. There are a lot of them down there, and there are a lot that you don't ever hear about, like I said, because the literature is in Spanish or it doesn't even go outside the country. But because Mexico has had very complex civilizations for thousands of years, there is a lot of material, actually, from ancient records and all the way through the colonial times and into the modern age. So there's a lot right. of stuff out there. Right, right, there is actually, yeah. And, of course, because it's in Mexico, most people wouldn't have access to it, like you said. Very interesting. So in your travels and visiting all these places, which would be absolutely wonderful. I'm, I'm so jealous, so jealous. I spent a little bit of time in Guatemala. Oh, great. Um, um, uh, years ago, decades ago, and I absolutely loved it. I loved it. I spent about a year there. But I would love to visit some of these little places that you go to and see the real culture, not the tourist side, you right. know. Yeah. You miss out so much, I think, 
on seeing real culture and experiencing the reality of life outside of the tourist destinations. Um, So in your travels, have you ever experienced anything yourself that you can't explain? Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the chapters in my book, the second book, is about La Llorona. And I don't know if you've heard of her before. Weeping Lady. Yes, very good. Wow. Um, I thought I saw her not in Mexico, but in New Mexico. That's where I grew up. I grew up in New Mexico, which is the United It's in the U.S. It's the 47th state admitted to the Union in 1912. And I grew up in the deserts of New Mexico. And the legend is very strong there. And when I was nine years old, I thought I saw her. And um, I saw her with a bunch of other kids when we were crossing an arroyo. And the arroyo is just a big, dry creek bed. And they, through the modern city of Albuquerque, Albuquerque has over half a million people. It's the largest city in New Mexico. There are arroyos going, cutting through the the city. So they they serve, you know, to abate the, the flash floods that come down from the mountains, you know, because it'll rain. And I've seen this as a little kid. It'll rain 20 or 30 miles away. It'll be sunny where you are. And then a big wall of water will come down the arroyo. And so that's a lot of people say that that's where the whole Yorona legend comes from it's to scare the kids to keep them out of the ditches there's also another mexican and southwestern legend called the hairy hand la mano pachona this hairy hand that comes down out of the sky if you wander away too far away from your house it's it's kind of the same thing it's a cautionary tale don't play in the ditches or whatever but there's also a very interesting connection that i have in the modern day with La Llorona. There was a movie made about her. I don't know if you saw that. It's mm-hmm. called, um, I believe it's The Legend of La Llorona. Well, I was all excited to go see it. And I went to the movie theater and I'm there in the theater to do, do, you know, just watching the movie like a regular person. And I noticed that there's some of my merchandise from my business in the movie. And oh, wow. yes, only products that are manufactured for me. These are my pieces. And then I had remembered that a year ago, a year before, I had gotten um, a requisition faxed to me from a, a Hollywood studio for their prop department. I get a lot of orders and stuff like that. Right. So it was like way over a year before. And I remembered the movie was called The Children but it was a working title for the Yorona movie. But when I was in the theater watching this Yorona movie about something that I have seen before, I thought as a little kid, there's my merchandise. It was so bizarre, but that's a weird connection. Like, so yes, the the Yorona, I thought I saw all the other creatures and stuff so far. I haven't had any encounters with, the lake monsters or the Bigfoot creature or anything like that. But hey, you know, if I keep going down there, who knows? I might bump into one of these. <laughs> so, so tell us about your experience seeing this weeping lady. I, I'm, I'm a bit scared to try and pronounce it. <laughs> no, that's okay. 
it actually llorona means it comes yeah, from yeah. the Spanish word llorar, which, which means to cry. So um, what was happening is in the fifth grade, our teacher gave us a treat. We can go to teacher's house to her swimming pool. But New Mexico is a very poor place and there's no funding for school buses or whatever. So we had to take like three city buses to get to her house. And her house is in the, near the South Valley where there's lots of woods and, and ditches and, you know, old trees that are 300, 400 years old, big cottonwood trees. Wow. And between bus stops, we had to cross over a bridge. We had to cross a bridge crossing over what they called the Han Arroyo. And one kid yelled out and pointed and said, look, it's the Llorona. And we saw a woman an older um, Hispanic woman climbing up the side of the ditch. This woman looked like she was 80 or 90 years old. What she was doing there, we, but you know, it was so scary, but so exhilarating at the same time. We ran away. I got a glimpse of her, so did everyone else. We ran away laughing and we tumbled over each other. It was just like, I never ran so fast in my life, but I was laughing. We were all like laughing because we couldn't believe that we saw what we saw, you know, right. but that was, that was the extent of it. So like, did she appear solid or um, it, was there anything about her that made you think it was the, the woman? Well, she was dressed all in black from head to toe. And like I said, mm -hmm. she was in her, she was in her 80s, I'd say. She was a mm -hmm. very old woman. There would be no way that she could get down there. She could not right. get to the bottom of the ditch because the bottom of the ditch was probably about, um, I'll say it, uh, about nine feet or three meters down. Yeah. So oh, there would be right. no way that a, a, right. a woman of that age or anyone of that age could probably get down there and climb up. And she was going back up the side of the Arroyo. And that's when we saw, we saw her climbing out. And now mm -hmm. there was no way. It's, uh, there are many canyons. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. yeah, there were, it was impossible. But it, the, we all got a vibe too from this. Mm -hmm. We felt scared. I mean, there was this vibe associated with it. And like I said, we just ran. I never ran so fast, but then we were laughing at the same time because we couldn't believe what we what we saw. Right. Of course, and being <laughs> kids. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder, um, because she's attracted to children, do you feel in hindsight that she felt the presence of all the children crossing the bridge and responded to that? That's possible. I mean, that would go straight in line with the stories now, wouldn't mm, it? Because mm, she's looking mm. for, according to your listeners, in case they don't know the story, we should That's have prefaced this before, but according to the story, briefly, there was a young woman in colonial New Spain, Mexico, or even New Mexico, sometimes you know it, New Mexico used to be part of Spain, and then it was part of Mexico, then it was part of the United States. So it has this long history that kind of blends in with Mexico at one point. So this legend is in different parts of Latin America too. So it always starts in colonial times, when there was this beautiful young woman and 
She's married to a handsome soldier or someone from Spanish nobility, depending on the story. And then yeah. he is messing around uh, behind her back and she hears the gossip in the village or whatever. And then to get back at him, she drowns her two children. It's always two children. Mm -hmm. She drowns her two children when she throws them in the rushing water. And like I said, these, these ditches, can, the water can just move so fast in an instant. So she throws her children into the rushing water. And then at the very last minute, she has regrets. And, but she, it's too late. She can't mm -hmm. save her children. And so the legend goes, she's walking along the creek beds, the arroyos, the canyons, the acequias, you know, little channels for irrigation. She's walking along these water paths, I guess, or little waterways or where there could be water dry canyons too she's walking along these areas looking for her children and any other children will do so yeah maybe mm -hmm. you know that's an interesting thought that i never really thought of the presence of children if you are to believe this story the presence of children could have evoked or invoked whatever whichever word could have brought forth this presence yeah, I don't know. yeah, that was that was the immediate thought that came to me. That's good, yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting story. So, in your research, what is the of all the cryptids that you've researched? What is the one that stands out the most to you? Well, ever since I was a little kid, I was a big fan of Bigfoot, you know, um, and so there are two Bigfoot creatures in Mexico. There's one that's a, a kind of skinnier, maybe six feet, seven feet tall, two meters tall creature that's kind of shy. And he lives in the, the jungles. So in Guatemala, they also have that. It's called the Sisimite. And Guatemala, Belize, and the Yucatan, Chiapas, and also... Um, Tabasco, to, uh, Campeche, those states of Mexico, this creature supposedly lives in the forest. And the ancient Maya um, believed in this creature. They saw this creature as a forest animal, like a deer or a peccary or something like that. And so to them, it was a natural forest creature, just a regular creature. Now, right. then there's there's another Bigfoot creature that is much like our North American Bigfoot. It's big, bulky, hairy, you know, just this, the, the jungle one is skinnier and a nice. little bit smaller. This one is just like the North American Bigfoot that you might encounter in the Northern part of the state where I'm in now, California. And it's called the Quatlacas. And a lot of people don't know about Mexico that it has um, unending pine forests in the mountains. There are three glaciers in Mexico where it never, mm -hmm. the snowpack never melts. And um, on two, two of those peaks, I know for sure, uh, Popocatepetl and Iztaccíhuatl. Now, spell those. Those, <laughs> <just thinking> <laughs> those two peaks those two peaks are, are very they're next to each other and they have permanent snowpack and they have um they have an alpine 
rescue team that's been trained in Switzerland because it is so snowy oh, wow. and the weather is bad up there. And that's where most of the Quatlacas um, sightings have happened. And also in the state of Puebla, where uh, the northeastern part of the state really wasn't even explored by non-native people until the 1850s because the, mm. the pine forest is so dense there. And so that's the territory of the Quatlacas. And it's cut off from any Bigfoot sighting territories in the United States by about a thousand miles of, you know, more desert type terrain, mm -hmm. you know, because where the borders meet the United States and Mexico, it's very desert. It's not mm -hmm. Bigfoot country. But then when no, you go, no, when you go south into Mexico, a lot of people don't know this, if they've watched a lot of um, spaghetti westerns, you know, with Clint Eastwood or whatever. Yeah, Mexico's yeah. always a dry, dusty place, you know. Yeah. But yeah, you would never think that there are glaciers there or or pine forests. But you go south, the elevation, you know, goes up. So you have or you're higher elevation, and then you have those pine forests, and a lot of them are so dense that parts of them are still probably unexplored. And wow. the, the Quatlacas, those sightings have only been recently. The, the name is a native name, and it goes, I, I forget which language. It's not Aztec. It's not Nahuatl. That's the main language of, you know, the, of ancient Mexico, central Mexico. Right. It's one of the other fringe languages on the fringe of the Aztec Empire. Um, but that, I think it means something like hairy forest creature it's descriptive of the creature right. and but right. that was more part of the mythology of those people but now with modern people going into these areas for logging and and there are squatters who go in there just to live to right um coming more and more co in contact with them so yeah i that's been kind of interesting to me some of my favorite researchers to look into the Bigfoot creatures because I had never heard of it before. I've never heard of the Sisamita or the Quatlacas before I started looking into this, before I heard it when I was down there. So Right. Oh, wow. And, and of course, it's found all over the world. In New Zealand, mm -hmm. we have several names for him, the most common being the Moihomen, but there are other names in Australia. He's called the Yahweh, but it's the same creature, oh, okay. the same yeah. basic description. So, is is the Mexican version? Is he? I, I'm presuming that the, the latter one you talked about. I'm not going to try and say that name. Quatlacas. Quatlacas. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. See, that was good. Yes, <laughs> 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 Um Is he aggressive? He yes, is very yes. aggressive. The Quatlacas mm -hmm. is very aggressive. And then that's the one in the pine forest and the, and the yeah. higher alpine regions. The one, the Sisamite, the skinny one in the jungle is very shy. But the Quatlacas mm -hmm. will throw um, well, pieces of lumber. No, he'll throw like a tree at you. <laughs> Uh, yeah. like the bigfoot like the bigfoot does in the states as well yeah yeah he'll get really really aggressive he um destroyed a lumber truck someone was cutting timber illegally 
um, in these, mm-hmm. this vast protected area. And he totally destroyed he or she, you know, not to confuse pronouns, we don't know. Um, so yeah. the Quatlacas destroyed the truck completely and they had to hike out of there. And um, yeah, so that, that creature is very aggressive. The Sisamite in the jungle is more elusive. And I think the Sisamite has had more contact with humans for a longer period of time. So that right. might be the reason. Which is probably why it's so shy. Right, yeah. it's like a deer. And like yeah. I said, the ancient Maya just saw it as a, a creature in the forest. Right. So to them, it wasn't like a mythical being. It's part of the zoology. Um, right. There were other creatures that are more mythical too, but yeah, that they believe that that was an actual creature. So... Right. So it was certainly the guy who had their truck destroyed yeah. knew it was a real creature. <laughs> yes. How yeah. scary would that have been? Yeah, wow, yeah. And how long ago did that happen? That was only, I think it was within the past 20 years. It was recent. Yeah, because, you know, the population in Mexico is increasing. I think the average age of, of, of the people, the average age of a person in Mexico is 15. So they have this big, young, growing population. And so the population is pressing into these areas that were previously untouched. Mm -hmm. And like I said, a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of wilderness in Mexico. In fact, there's also a legendary cat that maybe we can talk about later called the Mexican Onza that may be a real creature that hasn't been discovered yet because it lives in a very remote part of the mountains. So there could be, you know, there could be creatures that we still just just don't know anything about. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's very interesting. So uh, what answer, answer come, coming from one? Answer? Well, I... the. The um, the root there's we in English we have a word for a small wildcat that's not used much. It's called an ounce, like the the measure of weight, oh. and that's like old old English, and so right. it comes from that same Latin root. Yeah, right. so yeah, that's where the onza, and in Spanish and also Portuguese. Portuguese, well, I lived in Brazil, so I know that language. In Portuguese, the onça is like a wildcat. That's just a, a a term they use, but it's with a C with a little squiggly line under the C. They, that's right. how they spell onça. And um, if you're nobody's friend in Brazil, they say, ah, amigo das onças. You're a friend of the wildcat, and you, you don't have any friends, just those the, the cats in the jungle are your friends. <laughs> Oh, wow, poor people. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the, the Mexican Onza, they believe people who are investigating this, and there's a body that's actually, there's a carcass that's actually being tested right now in Texas. And, um, yeah, they believe that this could be the remnants of an extinct prehistoric North American cheetah. And yeah, and it was interesting because when the Spanish first arrived in Mexico, in Mexico City, they didn't come and just obliterate everything. They were 
they were invited to the capital city of the Aztecs, Tenochtitlan. They were invited by Emperor Montezuma as, as guests because mm. Montezuma had heard that these strange people who were wearing metal and they were riding gigantic deer had arrived mm. on these big houses that were moving across the water. And um, he had heard about that when they landed on the Gulf Coast of Mexico, sent emissaries out to greet him and said, come to the capital city as our guests. So for about six months, the Spanish were there in the capital city of Tenochtitlan, which is now Mexico City. And they were guests of the emperor. Emperor Montezuma had a massive zoo. And in the zoo, he had um, a couple of different wildcats. He had a bobcat. He had a mountain lion that has many different names, puma, cougar, mountain lion, same thing. And then he had this third cat that was um, described by the Spanish as, a, it was described as a cougar, but with long legs, kind of like a cross between a cougar and a cheetah. And that was an early reference by, by these conquistadors who kept really good diaries and they, they wrote letters back home because they were there for about six months before everything went sour. So Montezuma gave a tour of the zoo. And that was the first time that a Spanish had seen a North American bison. They didn't know how, even what the heck it was because it, it was captured in what they think is Southern Texas now in the United States and brought Right. you know, a thousand miles to the capital city. So he had this, Montezuma had this massive zoo of all these animals. And in there was this cat that people now think is this onsa. And people have sighted this cat for a long time. And there have been bodies. And like I said, there's now one, I believe it's somewhere at a Texas university being analyzed. And so it's very interesting. It could be a, a completely new animal. But um, yeah, it goes back to, to what I was saying. There are still remote areas in Mexico, as there are throughout the world. You know, a lot of people think the United States is a big developed country with, with big modern cities. And that's true. But once you leave the cities, oh boy, you yeah. can get lost. Yeah. And there's who knows I, what's out there. Let's go on then to talk okay. about the chupacabra. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. What can you tell us about the chupacabra? Well, that's an interesting creature because we don't hear much about this creature anymore. It was really popular in the 90s, and then it kind mm. of fell off the radar, which that kind of makes me believe that it might not be a real creature. I don't know. Or it could be some sort of thought form mass hysteria i don't know but it started in the caribbean islands in puerto rico and somehow he jumped all the way to mexico but what what happened what how the chupacabra became known throughout the world it's from it it first became known on the the talk show out of miami called christina and oh. it's yeah, it, it's hosted by a Cuban-American woman um, named Cristina. And 
it's broadcast throughout Latin America. It was like the number one show, you know, throughout the hemisphere, the Spanish speaking world, and even into Brazil too. She was shown there, but she started talking about the, the Chupacabra. And once she started to talk about it, all of a sudden, curiously mm-hmm. enough, he, mm-hmm. the, the Chupacabra started showing up in Mexico. But mm-hmm. was it people were imagining it? Was it mass hysteria? Or was the Christina show, did that give people the permission to talk about it publicly? You see what I mean? I mean, did they now people say, oh, okay, now it's safe for me to tell people what I've seen. So mm-hmm. it seemed like in the late 90s, right after that show, there was a big, massive interest in this creature. And um, since then, there haven't been very many sightings. There's been, there have been a lot of cases where there have been mutilated animals. And that has been attributed, those have been attributed to the chupacabra. But as far as sightings go, there haven't been a whole lot of them since the 90s. That's interesting. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. I I know I had seen photos of that people had claimed were chupacabra, but were probably dogs of mange. Right. Yeah. Um, So far, there hasn't been an actual body, you know, from mm. what the, that meets the description because the, the, the description when it first came on the Christina show was this kind of scaly spiky backed creature mm. that may or may not have had hair. But by the time it got to Mexico, it became this hairy creature, almost like <laughs> looking like a werewolf. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. But I, I don't know, I mean, the whole concept of a tulpa imagining, you know, a creature into existence or a person, right. could that yeah. be at work here? I don't know. I mean... That's an interesting thought. Yeah. For those listeners who aren't aware, a tulpa originally was a creature. Now, the X-Files did a program on this. Okay. And in the X-Files, <laughs> do you remember the X-Files? And in yes. the X-Files, the tulpa was a creature made of dirt. He was a thought form given life, but he was made from dirt. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And he was controlled by the person who created him. Yeah, you know, um, there have been people who've tried to create tulpas throughout history and supposedly have been successful. And yeah. someone who almost... Well, who, who, who claimed he was creating one and was actually seeing the, the faint image of who he was creating was Philip K. Dick, who was the author of a lot of different sci-fi novels. He uh, wrote Blade Runner um, and a couple of other things. And he was going to Disneyland here in Southern California, and he had one of those year passes um, you can buy a year pass. I don't know how much it is, but you can go unlimited times. So he was going mm-hmm. every day and he was sitting at a cafe and he was trying to create a tulpa. And then someone asked him, why do you go there and you stare? And you, and 
they asked him, what are you doing? He says, creating a tool button. And the guy said, what are you trying to do? Create Mickey Mouse? And he said, no, Walt. He was trying to conjure up a tool of Walt Disney himself. Oh, wow. And apparently he almost made it. He was seeing images of Walt Disney, but it never came to a full form of the person. So interesting little interesting. side story. And... and uh- I read somewhere. Oh, there was an experiment that was done kind of along the same lines, but it was a group of people who got together and decided that they would create a spirit as an experiment. And they gave the spirit a name and they gave him a backstory and they put this energy into him and he started to manifest. Was that the hat he, man? Or No, what? no, not okay, the hat man. Okay, because some he, people said... Was, that's what was happening there too with those kids creating. Oh, 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 you're talking about the Slender Man. Slender Man, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's totally, totally a made-up, yeah. fictional, urban legend. Right. People sometimes ask me about my conclusions about things. I have theories about things, and to me personally, if if the mystery remains, that's okay. I don't mm. need answers. If, if it's still a mystery and it's still out there, well, that kind of, to me, makes the world a, a little bit more wonderful of a place. So um, I don't really, I mean, I like investigating this stuff, but a lot of people really try to press me for conclusions. And a lot of times right. they say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give you what I think or, you know, I don't know a lot of times. So, and that's all right. It's okay to that- say that we don't know. Absolutely. And I actually like that attitude. I like the idea of there's still being some mystery because mystery makes it exciting for people. Yeah. And it makes them want to go out and search and research and understand more. So so it's a good thing, actually. Yeah. It's a good thing if it makes people curious and it makes people question and it makes people educate themselves, and that's not a bad thing in my mind yeah. at all. So of your... Of all the the cryptids that you've researched, what are the apart from the Bigfoot type one, what are the ones that are most commonly talked about in your experience that you've come across when you're talking with local villagers and stuff? I would say Aleutius, Chenekes, and Nawales. <laughs> okay. Now the Aleutia and the Cheneke are almost the same thing. They're little elves that live, little people who live in the forest. Oh. And you have to be nice to them. You have to ask their permission. They're almost like fairy folk in mm-hmm. the British Isles, you know, that you've, you've, uh, you might be familiar with. But they're little people who live in the forest and mm-hmm. you don't want to get on their bad side. Um, they'll come in your house and steal your keys. They'll, you know, do all of these different things. And, the Chaneque is in central Mexico, the Aztec Empire, those the, and the peoples they were subjugated, they believed in the, the Chaneque. The Alush is the Maya. And um, it's interesting because there was, um, there was a concert that was at Chichen Itza, the ruins, the main ruins um, in the Yucatan. Yeah. And the stage was... I think it was Sarah Brack, Brighton. Who? 
gosh, I don't remember the of name. The opera singer. Yes. Okay. They're brought. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, so. Right. I'm not sure. Okay, but there was a there was a concert, and the stage kept getting destroyed at night mysteriously. Some people said it was the winds and all this, but the Maya elders in the the region said no, it, it's not the wind. It's not natural causes. It's the Aleush. It's the Aleushes that you didn't ask them permission to build that, um, all the concert stuff. So that's why it's getting destroyed. So they brought in some um, Maya elders to make a ceremony and give offerings of cigarettes, alcohol, you know, little things like that. And then ask permission and, and say, I'm really sorry. And so, yeah, then, they built the stage, they rebuilt the stage and everything. And then from that point out, they didn't have any problems. And the same thing happened with a bridge near the airport. And this Mm -hmm. is very curious. And you can go by the bridge in by uh, it's near the Cancun airport, uh, one of the busiest airports in Mexico because of it's by the tourist areas. There's a bridge Mm -hmm. that kept on falling down during the construction process. And local people said up, it's the Aleush. The Aleushes are doing this in the middle of the night because you didn't ask them permission. So they brought someone in. And when you're driving, they, they brought someone in, did the ceremony, gave the offerings to the Aleush, whatever, made them happy. And this is another thing they did. You can drive underneath that bridge today and you will see a little house made out of stone that's under the bridge. <laughs> so they made a little house to make the Aleush happy. And ever since then, no problems with the bridge. So, hey. It's really interesting. So those are two little people creatures. And then the third one on my list that I said was the most common thing that I've heard when I'm down there is the, the Nawal. And the Nawal is a shapeshifter. Similar to, and I'm sure I'm I, I'm sure you're familiar with this because I've heard you talk about it on one of your shows. Oh, the skinwalkers. Exactly. So it's mm-hmm. somebody who is spiritually inclined, good or bad, and they <clears throat> turn into an animal. And right. so um, there are villagers who absolutely believe in it. They can be mm-hmm. total Catholic Christians, whatever. But the mm-hmm. Nawal is part of their reality. And um, right. yeah, you'll, you'll hear that everywhere. You'll, oh, that older woman over there who lives on the outside of town. You know, there's always, it seems like yeah. whatever culture you're in, it's some, some older person or a marginalized <laughs> person who's living on the outside of town, right? Right. And so that person's a Nawal. Stay away from that road. Don't go down there because our Nawal is there. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. But so that is, that's a big part of their reality. The, the shapeshifter Nawal. Very interesting. And are the Nawal, um, are they like the, the skinwalkers where they can um, create evil and havoc on people? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Same thing. Yeah. Oh, well, it would be because actually most of the skinwalkers that are like around the New Mexico, mm-hmm. Arizona, it's all the same region, isn't it? Right. Uh, yeah. All the same sort of like four corners. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, in New Zealand, we have our version of the fairy folk. The 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 native Maori calls them these two names: the Patapareke 
um, which are the land ones, and the Pona Turi, which are sea ones. Now, Seafood. you're not going to get me to pronounce those names, are you? <laughs> I'm struggling to pronounce them. I hope I pronounce them correctly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's their version of the fairy folk, but they're all over the world. So isn't it interesting that there's a consistency throughout the world of these, these beings? Yeah, that, it really is. is. It makes you wonder. I mean, what is the phenomenon behind this? Mm -hmm. Is it all mm -hmm. thought? You know, like mm. I said before, mass hysteria, tulpas being created, or yeah. is it really, you know, are these creatures? Exactly. Exactly. Even Queen Victoria of England, when P.T. Barnum did um, a show at court, he introduced two um, midgets from the Yucatan and introduce mm -hmm. them as Alushas, as the as right. part of the mythical fairy folk and um in queen victoria's diary she even wrote about it and she was very amused you know the queen was amused at yeah. um, <laughs> at the performance but she wrote a, in her diary that they must have a most miserable existence <laughs> but, but they weren't really Alushas. They were just small no. Mayas small who were, you right. know, P.T. Barnum, you know, the, the showman extraordinaire just did this. Yeah. But it's funny. They made it all the the whole idea of that made it all the way to the English court in London. Very <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Now, I don't know if you studied this guy at all, and I'm not even going to. I have no idea how to pronounce that name. The Island of Dolls. Do you know what I'm referring to? Oh, the to? Isla de las Muñecas. The Island of exactly. the Dolls in Mexico City. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I've never been there before, but I've heard about it. Yeah, I've heard of uh, the stories. I've never done a show on it or a chapter in my book, but yeah, I know of its existence. And the next time I go down there, definitely I have to visit it, that place. But um, from what I understand, it was just some little girl who started collecting dolls who was the daughter of some guy who i don't i'm not sure about the complete okay, story maybe so you might know more than i do i do okay I do, great actually. all right let's hear i was it. hoping you might know something about okay so apparently this chap lived on the island in one of these canal mm -hmm. things because mm -hmm. it's a series of canals right uh -huh. and he saw a little girl drown and he couldn't save her oh okay and her doll washed on shore and so he hung the doll up and then to appease her spirit, he kept hanging dolls around the island. So the whole island is covered with dolls and some of those dolls are said to have spiritual attachments. In fact, uh -oh. there was a television show done, um, a ghost investigation show that actually went there and it actually, well, I don't know if it was set up for television, who knows, but it actually showed one of the dolls making a noise, like talking. Oh, wow. And they turned it around immediately after it happened, and it didn't have any, like, bits in the back that would cause it to make the sound. It used to have one of those, you know, mm -hmm. squeeze the things that would make a sound, but it didn't, yeah. It was quite, quite an interesting story. And then it was said that, he drowned, that's how he died, in the same place where the girl drowned. And there was some sort of theory that 
there was some spirit under the water oh. that caused him to drown. Well, you know what? It's interesting about Mexico because there are all, it's kind of like, well, I guess ancient Europe, ancient Europeans believe that there were spirits attached to places. Yes, and that's what yes. they believe in Mexico too. I mean, yes. the true indigenous of Mexico believe that there are spirits attached to places. So, yes. um, and, you know, like I said, Mexico is a place of civilizations that had go back thousands of years so we have we've had complex civilizations there for a long long time and these beliefs have been around for a long long time Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and part of the reason he hung the dolls was to for the girl and to appease the spirit in the water wow and on the subject of water what sort in new zealand we have the tanifa which is the the river cryptid. Mm-hmm. What water cryptids have you come across? Well, there is there, there is a Mexican component to the Loch Ness monster, and it's called right. the Awisut. And um, it was such a powerful creature that there was even an emperor called Awisut. And um, he expanded the empire and he was, you know, this tough guy. He was physically strong and he commanded all these armies and conquered all these people but he was named after this ferocious water creature and a lot of people don't know that mexico city was built in the middle of a lake um the aztecs when they first got to the valley of mexico they built a city where their prophecy was fulfilled they they were a wandering people until they got to central mexico and their prophecy said that they would settle down and build a city, build a temple where they saw an eagle on top of a cactus eating a snake, which is now mm. the national emblem of Mexico. And it's in the center of their flag, this scene of the eagle on top of a cactus mm. eating a snake. So on an island in the middle of a lake called Texcoco is where they saw this scene. So they decided to build a city in the middle of the lake. So, um, yeah, the lake was pretty big, and it was run off from the mountains. It was in a basin, basically, a mm-hmm. valley. And the Spanish, when they conquered the Aztecs and uh, started bringing settlers and the, the population started growing, and they were having flooding problems, they decided to drain the lake. So the habitat of this lake creature, the Awisut, was supposedly living in Lake Texcoco. It it disappeared. But the Spanish, the uh, Spanish colonial documents have eyewitness accounts of this creature. And what it is, is some people think it's a gigantic river otter because Mm -hmm. it had some fur to it. But you had to be careful if you were out in a boat because According to the legend, it would capsize your boat. It had a big prehensile tail that would come and swoop over and it would knock you out with its tail and then take you to its underwater lair. So it was this ferocious creature that existed in this central lake. And like I said, some people think it's a, a river otter, possibly a holdover from a prehistoric type creature you know they were all bigger back then right 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, the Spanish, there were some eyewitnesses in the 15 and 1600s, but once they drained that lake, the habitat was gone. So, no more. Interesting. Yeah. They must have been exceptional engineers to be able to do that. Yeah. I, yeah, they drained the lake, but the the Aztecs too were really good engineers before them. Yeah, I so, mean, uh, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the Aztecs were and also then the Spanish and they when they drained the water because like I said the the population of the city was growing and it was the capital of New Spain or their, their empire yeah. in North America basically. And so they just had to they needed more living room so they just drained the lake which it's the strangest place to put a city there's like 25 million people living there it's on a dry lake bed that still gets muddy you know really muddy you know during the the rainy season it's in the dry lake bed on a fault line you know they have yeah. earthquakes and then there are volcanoes that are right there Popocatepetl when I was down in Mexico City in 1995 it was smoking and right now yeah. right now it's it's erupting too a little bit off and on and oh. I've done a show on my uh, YouTube channel and on my website about how uh, UFOs are connected to these volcanoes <laughs> so that's <laughs> another interesting topic and then that's that ties right. into the Quatlacus too because there have been some Quatlacus the the bigger more aggressive Bigfoot there's been some sightings of the Quatlacus in conjunction with UFO sightings on these big volcano mountains. So, yeah, it all ties together. <laughs> in Australia, the same thing. I was speaking with a Yahweh researcher in Australia, and he was saying that quite often UFO sightings are in conjunction with the Yahweh. So that actually ties in very nicely. And I knew I remembered the name of that volcano. I'm not going to try and pronounce it for a reason, and it's because there's often videos of ufos entering and exiting that's right well the mexicans they shortened it to they shortened the name of the volcano to popo so that's easy okay. popo oh, because it's popo tepetl you have to put the accent on the low tepetl that means mountain yeah so popo tepetl and it's next to istasiwat <laughs> <laughs> And that's not spelt anyway in what it's pronounced as, is it? Right, right. <laughs> and because the volcano has been erupting, because Popocatépetl has been erupting, the snowpack has melted off of it. But the mountain mm. next to it, Istasiwat, it's been a that's been a dead volcano for many, many years. So the glacier is still there on that one. That's really very, very interesting. So is Mexico prone to flooding then, Mexico City? One would think it would be given that it's a given it's in a in a valley like that. Yeah, yeah. There's it floods there, yeah. Quite often actually, yeah. And then yeah. and then with an earthquake with the, the unstable ground, I mean it's it's yeah. a recipe for disaster, but some of the earthquakes have been really bad. There was one in the mid eighties and you can yeah, still see mm. buildings that I was eating in a restaurant where the tables were all angled and the chairs because the building was, was leaning over. 
And yeah, so they did everything they could to stabilize the building. And I think the building was made in the 16 or 1700s. So they weren't going to demolish it. They just tried right. to do the best that they could do. Yeah. Oh, wow. That would have been a freaky experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm in Southern California, so we see earthquakes every once in a while. I, I was once in a high rise in downtown San Diego, and there was a small tremor, and the building went, whoosh, whoosh, it just like whipped to one side and went right back into place. That was yeah. weird. <laughs> we get a lot of earthquakes here in New Zealand. Oh, you do too. Okay. okay. And you, what was your first book about? What was it called again? It was called, uh, the first book is Mexico Unexplained. And it, it has right. all of the different categories that a little bit of, of everything in that book, since it was my first book. So it has right. cryptids, legendary creatures. It has religious curiosities. It has obscure history. It has ancient mysteries. So it runs the gamut. The second book is the one about the monsters. And that's more specific to cryptids and legendary creatures. Right. Yeah. In your monsters book, what is what stories have people told you? Let's get onto some stories. Okay, the most popularly referenced story, I think, in the monsters book, there's a, a creature called the lechusa, and that's a gigantic owl. And there's a story that goes way back into Mexican history of, a, of witches who shapeshift into gigantic owls and swoop down and kill people, take their dogs, whatever. And if you shoot the lechusa, then she'll turn back into this haggard witch, you know. But it could be a cryptid. And in fact, I had one of my listeners say, come down to South Texas. There are a lot of sightings in South Texas in the Rio Grande Valley. Come down to South Texas. We'll go Lechusa hunting. We'll go Lechusa watching because we see these all the time. Gigantic owls that are six feet, you know, two meters, six, seven feet, two meters uh, tall. And mm. um, they whistle. And they make other sounds to lure you outside. And then that's where they, when they attack you. And right. so in northern Mexico and even and southern Texas, I can, that is probably the most popular show that I've had that has the most comments about from eyewitnesses. Oh, yeah, right. we've seen this. This, this attacked my truck. I, it's unbelievable, actually, which leads me to believe that you know, the legend of the witch turning into the owl aside, if we just put that aside for a while, there could be a real creature, a real mm. bird that's that big. In North America, North American Indians through, even through Canada, they've had this idea of a thunderbird, a gigantic oh raptor, right. you know. So could there be a huge bird that lives in northern Mexico and southern Texas? Pro probably. There's a lot of of um, uninhabited land. There are mountains that are very, very remote. It'd be easy, like we said before, with other creatures, it'd be easy for a big bird like that to live undetected. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Excuse me. <coughs> and in New Zealand, we had what was called the Harst Eagle, which was a massive, massive bird. Um, it's extinct, but there are... Um, 
it was a, a physical a physical animal that was here at one's time, and it was a massive bird with a, a wingspan or I don't know how big, and it apparently could lift up small children and small you know sheep and stuff like that. No worries about taking it off. So I've got no doubt that these animals existed as animals, legends mm-hmm. aside, right. And that's, I think that's the thing when you're looking at cryptozoology, isn't it? You have, you have to take away the emotive aspect of it and just look at it like an animal that, that existed or perhaps still exists. Right, yeah. Yeah, like I was saying, you have, in this case, you have to take the witch part out of it. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. say, okay, what are these people seeing? You know, that I think was the first cryptid that I talked about where I actually thought, hey, this could be a real creature. You know, it, that was one of my earlier shows, but I kept on getting messages um, and comments in my comment section on YouTube about, I mean, you can go to that uh, show and read what people have been writing. It's amazing. Someone even said that they saw one here in Southern California near the San Onofre nuclear power plant. And his, as when he was a little kid, and his dad said, the owl, the owls grew really big because they were eating radioactive rats that were coming from the power plant. But yeah, so <laughs> oh, that's, that's as good a theory as any other. Yeah, add that to the list. Right? <laughs> oh, that's quite fun. Oh, I shouldn't laugh. Well, you know. Isn't that how Spider-Man became Spider-Man? Right. He got hey. bitten by a, a radioactive spider. Well, you know what? It's a modern twist, right? It's it's what yeah. we would say now. I mean, right. a thousand years ago, they said it was a witch, a marginalized woman who was shunned by the community. That right. was the reason. Now it's radioactivity. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very, very interesting though. And the owl actually uh, popped up in the Skimwalker episode that I did. In the first episode of the Skimwalker, this person was visiting Arizona, Arizona, some um, village uh, ruins in Arizona where Skimwalkers are known to inhabit. And she saw this owl, a big owl on on a, a huge owl. And she said she felt funny and and a bit dizzy or something like that. And then she went to the ranger station for something and she was telling them about the owl she saw and they immediately sat her down, gave her some herbal tea that was a spiritual thing and said to her, this is what you experienced. Wow. Well, you know what? Some people think too that it's a screen memory that's implanted later that from the greys you know, the nefarious grays. Yes, yeah. And so there's that connection too. So yes. I don't know. That's actually, when you brought up the owls, that, that, uh, that popped into my mind that it is often used as a screen uh, image by, right. by that particular species, but not always. So of everything that you've researched and you've studied and you've heard about what is your very favorite 
Well, wow, wow. What is my very favorite? Ooh, geez. That's a tough question. Well, probably the Bigfoot creatures. You know, like I said, I would love to yeah. go down there on an expedition. I know you interviewed a Bigfoot hunter once. That was a very interesting show, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. But um, there hasn't been any sort of Bigfoot research in Mexico that I know of. Maybe there is, but I don't think so. But I think I would really like to go down there on an expedition and and actually look for one of these creatures. But I think that's probably my favorite, uh, you know, either or of those two Bigfoot creatures that are down there. Right. And do you hold the theory that some do that Bigfoot's actually an interdimensional creature because he can appear and disappear? And there are no bones. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, oh, geez, are there different dimensions? I mean, we can go down so many roads with that. Yeah, yeah. Is it yeah. all a projection of your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Once again, is our is our mind more powerful than we think it is? Are these creatures really projections of of something? I don't know. There was. It was interesting, in April of this year, 2020, I know your shows are evergreen, but I'll say, you know, this year, 2020, April of this year, there was a small town in Mexico called Coita that was plagued by werewolves. And um, that is not part, it was a European type looking werewolf, that whole thing, you know, from ancient Europe. It wasn't, it wasn't anything from Mexico's ancient past, the indigenous people's folklore nothing they were seeing werewolves and there were mexican psychologists and psychiatrists who were theorizing that the that was near the beginning of a really strict lockdown for covid19 in mexico and this town they were thinking because they were all stuck at home and they were all scared that they were collectively manifesting these creatures. Mm, yeah. I mean, that, that happened April of 2020. That's something oh. recent. And it plagued this town for about a week. These werewolves, there were tracks. There were uh, a lot of people had, uh, you know, had sightings. There was no photography, no fur, you know, nothing, just the tracks. And I think someone recorded some sounds. But um, yeah, that was that was interesting. I I don't know. Like I said, is it manifestation, or could this have been like a Bigfoot creature or whatever that went into the town and people just assumed it was a werewolf? Uh, you know, we don't know. Good point. Because because people were in lockdown, so the streets were v- vacant of people. Right, yeah. Like in so many videos in towns where there are lockdowns, and I forget what it's like for you guys out there because here in New Zealand we're very isolated geographically, and so we're just pretty much living our lives as normal pretty much. That would be nice, I'd have to say, because right now in California it is not like that, believe me. Oh, my goodness. Luckily, my business of 21 years is all online. I had a store, yeah, I had a store for 10 years and then I closed the store down because I was realizing I was selling more things online than I was inside the store. In fact, one day I 
I was looking at my sales figures and I said, I sold more in Australia than I did to um, people who walked in the door. And then so I closed the store down after 10 years and I've been exclusively online for 11. But um, yeah, so um, I'm still working and everything, but everything else, everything around me is shut down and businesses are closing and everything. It's it's pretty bad news. It is bad news. And so there's a lot of fear out there for people. And so it's understandable. One last subject. Are there any like Mexican stories of vampires? Yes. Um, there's a very old story and there, it's a story from a small corner of a small state in Mexico the state is called Tlaxcala, and it's near Mexico City. There are 32 states in Mexico. When one of the smallest, if not the smallest, I think, is Tlaxcala. And in the 50s, there was um, a functionary, someone who was working in the government offices in the capital city of Tlaxcala City. And he was noticing on the death certificates that were crossing his death, his desk, the, the death certificates were saying cause of death, chupado por la bruja, sucked by a witch. And he told his superior, he says, what is this cause of death sucked by a witch? What is, what is this all about? And then so his supervisor said, we've got to send some people to these rural areas to investigate. And so they went out to these rural rural areas and they found that there was an indigenous legend that goes back thousands of years of a vampire that goes after newborns and toddlers. And it's called the Tlawelpuchi. And I won't get you to say that. Um, and so it's a shapeshifter, once again, goes out at night, just like a vampire. And then it will get access to your house by turning itself into another creature like a fly and fly in some crack in your door, the keyhole or whatever, and then appear in the baby's room and then, you know, do the vampire thing and then leave. And then there are marks left on the neck, just like a classic vampire. And so that was um, that was being listed as a co- an actual cause of death up until you know through the fifties, and people still believe that that goes on, that there are these blood sucking witches basically that can shape shift. Um, so, and they only affect children, not, not adults. adults Always children, usually children who are like under the age of two. But then some people have said, well, this is just, um, this just explains crib death or sudden instant death syndrome, say, you know, whatever. Right. But um, right. it's based on a legend that goes back to, you know, like I said, thousands of years. Right. And crib death doesn't leave marks on it. Right. Yeah. So who knows, right? Once very, again. Very interesting. <laughs> So where are you going from here? What's next for you? Once once COVID's all sorted. Well, um, COVID, well, the whole COVID thing has 
put a stop on my travels. Okay. I had a lot of travels planned for this year, uh, 2020, but um, I almost made it back to Brazil in May, but then they pulled the plug on that flight and they yeah. locked down Rio and all of this stuff. And so I couldn't travel. I was going to go to Guatemala too. And then another Mexico trip, central Mexico, all the trips were canceled. The flights were canceled, everything. But that didn't stop me from doing a weekly show because I have 220 shows out there now. And there is wow. a never ending supply of material, never sure. ending. Sure. Because like I said, a lot of this stuff is purely in Spanish. And a lot mm -hmm. of it has not even left Mexico. You can't find it on the internet or anything. So yeah, there is, I never, I mean, what's in my future for this? I don't know, 2,000 more episodes <laughs> because there's always something else. There's, and when I'm researching things, I'll stumble on other things. And then I'll have people right. send me people who are living in Mexico or Mexican Americans who've gone back and forth because the border is very, very fluid. It's not, you know, a lot of people don't think of it that way, but people who, Half their family is born on this side of the border. Half their family is born on the other. Mm -hmm. They spend five years there, 10 years here. They go back and forth, right. whatever. Citizenship doesn't matter. So I have a lot of people who are um, who go and travel across the border and go to these little towns and stuff who contact me and say, well, you know, right. I spent the summer with my grandma and she told me this and you know, then that sets me down another path of, of discovery. Right. And so there's, there's a narrow, there's never ending material. I don't know what I'm going to be talking about three weeks from now. I could be, I could find something incredible. Like, you know, for example, I stumbled on the case of a woman called Marla and she lived in the late sixties and early seventies. And she was an experiencer she was a contactee. Right. She was the most famous Mexican contactee in the history of Mexico. And the only way I mm -hmm. found out about her is because I stumbled onto some pulp magazines from the 70s, the early 70s, some pulp magazines from Mexico written in Spanish. And her face was everywhere, her, her interviews with her and stuff. And it's like, why haven't I heard of her on the internet anywhere? And so that was my source oh. material. And she was mentioned a little bit here and there, nothing in English. But that's something mm -hmm. I stumbled on. And this was like a gold mine of information. So yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to be finding, but that's what keeps it interesting. And I'm super, super busy mm -hmm. with my business. Everybody's in lockdown. So everybody's ordering things online. I'm having the, the mm -hmm. best year of 21 years right now because of that. Wow. Which I, I'm very, very lucky. I'm very fortunate. I'm very, very grateful because yeah. I know that most people can't be saying that, especially here yeah. in Southern California, unemployment is 20% or whatever. Yeah. But um, despite the fact that I'm so busy with my business, I still manage to have time once a week to make a show because there is so much interesting information. It's never yeah. ending. 
And so I suspect there's another book coming as well. Yeah, you know, the last book took a lot out of me. So I did, <laughs> I did that. That came out um, two years ago. So I was, yeah, that took a lot out of me. In fact, I was on a show. Uh, I was interviewed like a few days after the book came out. And I, they asked me, well, when's your next book? And I just like, I let out a big <laughs> sigh. And I said, no, I don't know if I want to do this again. But I, but I will. It does take a lot to put together a book. But um, it's in me. You know, I'm going to probably do another book. I don't know what I'll be doing. Maybe something about uh, ancient beliefs. You know, if the Aztecs, the Maya, tie it all together. I don't know. We'll see. That's a actually that's a great yeah, we'll idea. See, right? There's like I said, unending material. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's kind of the same as my podcast because yeah. I cover all those areas. Yeah. There's just never going to yeah, run out. You're never going to run out. The world is a big mysterious place. Thank goodness, isn't it? It makes life so much more interesting. I mean, if. If I had to work seven days a week just doing my business, I love what I do. I, you know, deal with arts and crafts, mostly with my import business. So I'm surrounded by lots of really cool merchandise. And, you know, like I said, I get to travel and everything. But the whole Mexico Unexplained thing, it really gives me a lot of spice, you know. And it's yeah. I'm learning all the time. I'm learning along with my my listeners and, and viewers and you know what? I love the comments section on YouTube because, you know, I have the right to learn too. And I learn a lot from, yeah. from people contributing and sending me in stuff and everything. So I really appreciate that part of it. I, I also find that I learn so much from my guests mm -hmm. and from the research that I do for the shows. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really, I, I, I really enjoy the learning. And I soak it up like a sponge. I love it. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. you can ever it's a curious mind, you know. You've got to have a curious mind, I think, to to do what we do. Yeah. And, and a desire to share that with other people. So can where can people, where can my listeners find you? Now I will place links to all your social media and to your websites on this episode's page on the podcast website which is www.walkingtheshadowlands.com where can people find you it's really simple mexicounexplained.com that's a place where you can go and you can see all of the all the episodes are for free there's no paywall or anything um, you can order books from there and then there are links to the youtube channel the youtube channel is basically a slideshow set to the podcast so you'll get some visuals there and it's the same name mexico unexplained so that's all you got to really do is plug into your favorite search engine mexico unexplained and i'll pop up brilliant and are you on instagram or twitter i'm on twitter and i'm also on facebook i'm not on instagram I had to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too much. I know. Too much social, social media. media. So oh, gosh. Oh, oh. I know. <laughs> you know, everybody I speak to says that, oh, social media. But it's an age thing, I think. I mean, <laughs> I'm not 25 years old. So that's, you know, that's part of the problem, <laughs> I think. Okay. 
yeah, my kids do it. You know, you sweet, no trouble for them. But honestly, I find it such a struggle. So your Facebook page is the yes, same name Mexico as Unexplained, your website? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mexico Unexplained. That's very easy for people to right. find you. So, Robert, I've really enjoyed my conversation with you. You're a very interesting chap. And I end that as taking time away from you. I can see all your work piled it's up behind such a mess. you on your yeah. desk. <laughs> this is my office and the warehouse is, is that away. So all of the crafts and stuff, mostly I have thousands and thousands of pieces of stuff. And it's, yeah, it's oh, all wow. over there. And um, yeah, so. What's your business website? Uh, my business is called Sueños Latin American Imports. And you can find me on Amazon, eBay, Etsy. And then I also have my own website called SueñosImports.com. But most of my merchandise is either on eBay or Etsy. So those would be good places to find me. So yeah, Sueños Imports there. And Sueños means dreams. And oh, Thank you. That's what I was going to yeah. ask you. So because everything that I sell was once a dream, once an idea of an artist or a crafter. So, oh, that's yeah. lovely. So it was once an, a dream and now it's a, now it's a physical thing that I sell. So yeah, that's where it comes from. And it was always a dream of mine to start a business like this. And it's been going now for 21 years. And you're doing really well. Oh, that's Surprisingly, awesome, I'm yeah. just very grateful. I really am grateful for, for everything this year. It's, it's turned out to be a good year for me. So. Surprisingly, yeah. considering, yeah, you're just, you're just, but attitude, I believe, even in the in the time of adversity makes such a big difference. It's really strange though, because in other times of recession or near depression, you know, the the housing crisis, the dot com bubble, whenever anybody had, whenever the, the population as a whole have, when when they have less money, they don't buy what I sell. I'm not selling bread, yeah. eggs, or gasoline. I'm selling extras. But it turned out that this year, because people were stuck at home, they wanted to mm. brighten their their apartment, brighten their home. And then, yeah. especially in the first few months, I sell a lot of religious items. I was selling a ton right. of religious items in, in um, April, May. And also, I had a really huge backstock of the Mexican bingo game called Loteria. And people, because they were home, they were looking for things to do. And I had such a backstock that I was the last one standing in the entire country that had any of these bingo games left. I had hundreds and hundreds of them in backstock. And so I was selling more games. I'd say I, I was selling more bingo games in a month than I would in three years. And yeah, wow, because people were rediscovering um, playing this right. this game probably from their childhood or whatever in Mexico or their grandma used to play with them or whatever. It's a picture bingo game. So I was selling a lot of those bingo games and a lot of religious things like rosaries and things. I think people were praying a lot. But, um, oh, understandable. Yeah, but I was very surprised because when the, the first lockdowns happened, I said, I've I'm probably finished because people are not going to have any money to buy the things that I'm, 
um, selling because, like I said, they're extras. But during this time, people want the extras, the colorful little mm-hmm. sculptures, the, the happy mm-hmm. skeletons, you know, for Day of the Dead, that sort of stuff. Yeah. They wanted these things to brighten their homes. And I always include an insert to try to brighten people's days too, you know, in these, the things that I pack, the orders that we ship out here, I have a nice little uplifting insert because what I noticed is I was having people who were stuck at home or who were affected by all of this in a very tragic way. They were reaching out to me after they were buying from me and they were telling Mm -hmm. me how much this thing that they bought from me meant to them and you know it it was actually amazing to me the the feedback i was getting from people from all of the little Mm -hmm. things that i was selling i i had no idea that something like this would ever happen you know yeah oh wow that actually (laughs) was kind of close but it actually brought me on to another thought have you ever had an item that's come into your position that's haunted? Ooh, yes, 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 yes. One time I, well, you know, I, I had a woman who was selling to me when I had a retail store, and she was the granddaughter of a witch, and she mm-hmm. had all of these healing properties and stuff like that. She was a very weird, a strange character, you know, someone who would live on the outside of town, like we were talking about. But she said, you need to be burning incense in this place. There's, there, I can feel the energies of these, of some of these things, these dolls that you have, these, these sculptures, they were made with feeling and meaning and you need to be burning sage and you need to be doing all this stuff and i'm like yeah whatever blah 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 whatever and then a few weeks later i opened up the store with an employee so i have a witness there was one piece of merchandise it was a sculpture it was a storyteller sculpture it was a woman's a seated woman telling stories with an open book with cat she was a cat lady that had like six cats, one on her shoulder, two on her shoulders, you know, and just the cats were like listening to her read. That right. sculpture had moved on the shelf about one foot and it had moved all of the other pieces, clay pieces on the shelf away. And there were some on the floor. Okay. Yeah, there was stuff on the floor. And my employee was like, what are you doing? You're trying to trick me or whatever. I said, no, you just came, you came in when I did right here. I didn't do this. And it was as if something happened in the middle of the night to move the sculpture and to knock out the others that were on the shelf. And then I said to him, you think I'm going to ruin merchandise like this? This costs me money. There's stuff on the floor that's broken. You think I would do that just to scare you? Or something no but and then that wasn't the first time too i'd have things fall off the wall um and yeah some things did happen but um you know like that woman the granddaughter of the witch said you know you you don't know how some of this stuff was made you know with what intention is behind all of this 
And she said, you need to be burning some sage and doing some things to clear out all the bad stuff that might be in here. So, yeah, that's an interesting question that you asked. That's a good question. I can't explain any of that. The stuff falling off the wall, the, the things moving and, you know, just weird things. There was one, I had a Virgin Mary sculpture made out of wood that turned colors it was, it turned red and green. And I mean, it was just some bizarre stuff had happened. Yeah. Um, so wow. yeah, more unexplained stuff. But, but that was a, actually a really valid point that that woman made about you don't know the intent that it was made with. And that's one of the things that I, I discuss is that very, like, very often spirits can be deliberately attached to items. Most often it's ceremonial masks. Like, uh, is it the Zuni people, the Zuni Native Americans who have the ceremonial masks, and when they wear them, they take on the character of the entity that the mask is made for. Yeah, you know, and <clears throat> I've had my share of masks too, and... I had a woman come in. I had gigantic masks that were made from this tree, huge old trees that were all cut down in central Mexico. So the masks were pretty rare. They were massive. You couldn't wear them. They were huge. And a woman came in. See, I've, I have had a lot of customers in my store, too, who are very intuitive or psychic yes. or, in the case of this woman, had a lineage of, you know, witchcraft or whatever, you know, alternative uh, healing and things like that. And a woman came in and she said, you've got to get rid of these masks. There's just such a bad vibe from these masks. You've got to get rid of them and you've got to make sure that you get rid of them permanently. And it was like, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, they, they can't come back to you. And I didn't understand what she meant. And it was funny because the person who bought them all, there were 14 of them. Some guy came in, some hotshot finance guy, this young guy came in and bought all of them. And then two years later, he got a divorce and he had to move out of his house and his wife didn't ever like those masks. And so they came back to me. He sold them back to me for half of what he paid for them. So I put them back up again and then i sold them to another person a guy in canada and i sold all 14 of them they never came back to me after that though <laughs> but yeah some people would come in and tell me one woman came in and said you know you've got to move out of this store because i feel like whenever i come in here she said I really like your merchandise and everything and you're a cool guy to talk to and stuff and, and everything is cool, but there's something about this building. I feel like the walls and the ceiling are coming down on me when I come in here and it's a little bit colder in here than it is outside. There's something evil about this building. And let me tell you, I moved out of that building and it was six months. I waited until my lease was up I was held up at gunpoint and almost killed in that building. And um, yeah, I was tied up and a customer found me and stuff. 
And I then moved to another location that was brighter and had sunlight and everything. And that woman came back and she said, oh, I'm glad I found you. She said, I'm so glad you moved out of that building because it was just such a terrible vibe. And then I said, you know what? You were right. Something really bad happened to me. And I told her about the, the armed robber and all that stuff. And she said, well, you know what? That doesn't surprise me because that's the feeling that I got from that building. And um, apparently the tenant who was before me in that building, a homeless woman came into that business and said, you all need to leave. There's something bad here. There's something bad. You all need to leave. You're all going to die. This is a terrible place. Yeah. <laughs> and then she left. And I heard that from the, the previous owner. So I don't know if there was something bad attached to that building, but I, I don't know, but I moved out. Interesting. Very interesting. Whoa, that's, that's a bit scary. And, and it might not have been the building. It might've been the land it was on. Yeah, that's true. Um, It was in central Phoenix. There was something else that happened at that building too, which was the weirdest thing. I was being visited by, an eagle that had one foot that would roost in the billboard that was above my building. And I called the animal control people and I said, there's an eagle. I mean, this is in Amer Phoenix is America's seventh or sixth largest city. Is it's a big yeah, yeah. city. It's there are millions of people there. Why is there an eagle in the middle of the city? And I called them and they said, well, there's nothing we can do. I mean, that's kind of unusual. It was a golden eagle. And it had one foot. And so I guess it was eating roadkill or something, but it would be on that billboard. And then it's then it just went away one day. And <clears throat> I was like, gosh, you know, that was I really liked coming into the store and seeing that eagle, you know, whenever I could. Sometimes it, it would land in the parking lot too. It was huge. And it had one foot. And Something weird happened. There was another, there was a, a customer I had who was Native American. She was Yaki. And she told me, she said, I'm going to send you the eagle again because it hasn't been there for a year. And her name was Jeanette. I'm going to send you the eagle. And I said, Oh, yeah, right. Ha ha ha, whatever. And then, so I had a fountain in the middle of my store and I had the door open. And uh, the, the, you know, the next day after I had that phone call from Jeanette, I'll be darned. What happened is a pigeon came limping through the door and hopped up onto the fountain and took a drink and the pigeon was injured and, and then it just hobbled back out the door. And so I called up Jeanette and I said, ha ha, your fairy wand is, is not working properly. I didn't get an eagle. I got a pigeon with, I think, a broken wing or an injured foot. And then she said, well, that's close. And then I hung up the phone, ha, ha, whatever. The next day, the eagle was back. <laughs> I know, it was weird. And I have witnesses. <laughs> I have witnesses to that, too. So, yeah, a lot of strange Whoa. stuff. And then, what do you, what do, you do with that? Just enjoy yeah. the wonder. 
that's about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Wow, that's really that's really interesting. So, what whatever happened to that ornament that moved the things? What did you do? Did you cleanse it? Did you cleanse your building? What happened? You know did, what? Was it just the one thing? What did I do? You know. Well, I had him with a teenage boy working for me. I had him clean up the mess and then we just rearranged the shelf. I didn't do anything with it. I, you know, I really didn't even think twice about it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know it's kind and of weird. It's kind of weird thinking back at it now that I didn't do anything mm -hmm. with it. But it is yeah, true. but I guess I was, you know, I, I'm in business, it's a store. I was thinking about money, whatever, you know, and just back on yeah, the shelf. Yeah. So I don't know where that yeah, yeah. where that sculpture ended up. I know in my inventory now, I don't have any more of those uh, storytellers with the cats. Those were very popular. So I, I know I still don't have it here. So it didn't come with me. So it's really interesting that, well, of course, it, you wouldn't be looking for anything paranormal because that's not on your radar. It's just, but it's interesting that nothing else happened after that, that you were aware of anyway. Connected to that sculpture? No, not as far as mm. I know. But those were popular mm. little sculptures because they were they were nice. So it, could have so sold it just really sold, quickly. you know, probably within a month because yeah. I had a whole shelf of similar, you know, sculptures like that. Right. So, yeah. Really, really interesting. Oh, Robert, you're such a fascinating oh, man well, to thank talk you. to. It's, it's been really nice <laughs> talking to you too. Yeah, I feel like we're kindred spirits here in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of feel like that too. I absolutely enjoyed our conversation. And thank you so much for, for being on the episode today. I've like really enjoyed hearing your knowledge about cryptozoology and monsters and mysteries. It's just been pretty exciting. I've enjoyed it. Well, it's it. been my pleasure. I, I really appreciate you having me on today. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to thank Robert so much for taking us south of the border with this fascinating journey. Honestly, for me personally, it's only made me more curious and interested to find out more and to want to visit these areas for myself once we can travel. Be sure and check out Robert's website www.mexicounexplained.com for more information on the cryptids, legends and monsters we've discussed today or go and purchase his books Mexico Unexplained and Mexican Monsters. Both are a great read and are available from most online retailers. I read them and found them so fascinating. One of the great things about doing this podcast is that I get to read some amazing books written by some of my guests. I love it. I love it. Just a word about most of the episodes in this series and the first few in Season 8. Most of the interviews for the episodes were recorded before Christmas. This was because I'm currently dealing with some family issues that require me to be available for my particular family member, so I didn't want our podcast to be disrupted or to suffer. 
I generally try and record three episodes in advance as a general rule to allow for sickness or some emergency situation. So the podcast is covered and there's no disruption for you, my listeners. However, because of this situation, I worked really hard and recorded most of this season's guests, with the exception of a couple of the episodes before Christmas. That's why Robert was referring to 2020 in parts of the conversation. What I do then is I edit our conversation and I record the intro and closing remarks before I upload them in queue for your listening. That's also why there's a discrepancy in the sound quality between the intro and the conversations with my guests. My old computer was dying when these were recorded and I had to get a new one whose sound is so much better. Today's bumper music is called Mexican from Texas Brother. I want to mention my patrons and thank them for their ongoing support of this podcast. If you want to become a patron of the show, then head over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. As a patron, you get access to a special members-only page on the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com, from which you can download full transcripts of each episode. You also have access to some interview bits that may not make the episodes and little extras as I have time to create and add them for you. You also get early access to the shows before everyone else gets to hear them. Also, you have my absolute gratitude and appreciation. So, what are you waiting for? Go to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. The continued support of my patrons makes it possible for me to financially cover part of the cost of producing this show for you. So thank you all so much. If you have any suggestions for topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Or if any of you have any questions, suggestions or any comments that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share with myself or my audience. Or if you feel you might be a good fit as a guest on my podcast, then just email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com or check out the Be A Guest page on the podcast website. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name and our Twitter feed at Shadowlands10. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating and don't be shy to leave a written review on your chosen podcasting platform or on the podcast Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and iHeartRadio as well. Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words, Open Walking the Shadowlands, and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com.
For those who are impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thanks for listening to this episode. Kakite ano oya koi. I'll see you again. Thanks for listening. 